Welcome to News in Focus with your host, Chris Long, President of the Ohio Christian Alliance. Stay tuned for an analysis and conversation about the issues that matter most to you and your family. Here now with this week's edition of News in Focus is Chris Long. And good afternoon and welcome to this edition of News in Focus. We're glad that you've joined us. We're going to be talking about the Ed Choice Vouchers program that's uh, currently being debated at the Ohio State House. Uh, both the Ohio House and the Ohio Senate came up with different versions of how to proceed with educational uh, choice vouchers for the state of Ohio. And there's a lot of different particulars about this current uh, piece of legislation that's being debated as we speak. So if you um, care about educational choice, if you care about uh, you know being able to send your child uh, to the school of your choice in the state, you might want to stay tuned as we're going to get into the deep waters on this issue and do a little bit of history as well, and then talk about how we actually landed where we're at right now as it's reopened the debate of educational choice vouchers here in the state of Ohio. Also, a state Supreme Court case was filed on February 3rd, the same day in which we filed a case at the state Supreme Court on voter rights. Another organization, Citizens for Community Values, filed a lawsuit on educational choice pertaining to the dates in which enrollments would be accepted because it would affect a lot of parents enrolling their students for the school year next year and obtaining the uh, voucher uh, to be able to take them to the school of their choice. So all of this is at stake. And of course, the House and Senate versions here to give us a breakdown is Greg Lawson of the Buckeye Institute. He is a senior research fellow there at the Buckeye Institute. We like to refer to them as the Heritage Foundation of Ohio. Uh, They do a lot of great research and um, uh, provide material to legislators and to the general public on a whole host of issues. And uh, they are fiscal watchdogs for the state of Ohio and also weigh in on public policy. Greg, welcome to the program. Thanks for having me. Well, thank you and uh, appreciate it. I know that you've stepped out of a committee meeting as it is right now at the State House and have taken time to walk us through the educational uh, choice voucher program and the debate that's raging right now at the Ohio State House. So give us a little bit of backdrop uh, of what currently is going on. Sure. Uh, so what's happened is that the Ed Choice Program, which is uh, the major uh, scholarship program in the state of Ohio and has been around since the mid-2000s, uh, has, uh, it, it's been around for about 15 years, and it has been based on a report card model, which means that if a school building performs poorly on the report card for a set period of time, I believe two out of three years, then uh, that building gets put on a list. Uh, the Ed Choice list, and then students who attend that building can obtain the scholarship to go to a willing uh, private school of their choice. Uh, so what's happened historically is that that list has been relatively small for a variety of reasons. And again, it's based upon performance on a report card, a state report card. Uh, recently, uh, there's 500 buildings across the state right now that are eligible. But in November of last year, a new list was produced for next school year. So this would be the all the buildings that would be eligible uh, so that if a student attends one of these, they could get their choice uh, scholarship. The And it was a big increase. It jumped from over 500 buildings, slightly over 500 buildings, to 1,200 buildings statewide. So that was obviously an over 100% increase in buildings uh, statewide. That has created a lot of consternation from the public school districts. So what you have seen since that list was published now is a really massive effort by the public schools to try to make sure that does not happen, really to put uh, a, a lid on ed choice and to greatly limit school choice in the state of Ohio. There have been countless school boards across the state that have passed resolutions uh, opposing ed choice, and every one of those resolutions goes, of course, to the legislators who represent that area. And so you've got the legislators who are here in Columbus uh, being absolutely 
deluged uh, with uh, their superintendents, principals, teachers, parents, uh, the public school districts. Uh, There's a few things that they say that are correct, but for the most part, they use overheated rhetoric to really, uh, I think, misshape the public understanding of how EdChoice operates and what they claim to be these incredible negative impacts. They're over the top with this. Uh, And unfortunately, instead of having a reasonable debate about what we should do with school choice and how to fix some issues that there might be with the report card and the way that we've been doing school funding or school choice through Ed Choice uh, has kind of gone by the wayside. And we now have several legislative packages percolating around at the State House to deal with this issue. There's a package that has been passed by the State Senate, and there's a package that's been passed by the House. Um, the State Senate package is uh, due to have hearings uh, in what's called a conference committee. Uh, without going through all the uh, rigmarole of how the legislature works and some of the stuff that they do, uh, the, the rules and regulations of how the legislature operates, the bottom line is uh, members of the House and Senate have to get together in what's called a conference committee to hash out differences over this particular piece of legislation. That, that's correct, on. because... Two different versions passed. The Ohio Senate passed a version, the Ohio House passed a version, and never shall the two meet except for in conference committee. And then, of course, conference now has all these scheduled hearings where they're going to hear from the general public, they're going to hear from public school teachers and the districts and the teachers' union representatives and all those kinds of people. Now, before we get into all that, and I'm, I know that listeners are saying, what, what does that mean, buildings, 500 buildings available? It's like, why isn't this broken down into school districts? Well, because basically, if there's a failing school, it's not the whole district. It may be a particular school that actually grades below the standards from the state, from the State Board of Education. And that's there's a grading system. And if uh, that um, the state report card, in other words, for that particular school, school building... And if that school gets a D or F on the state grading system, then students within that building uh, are permitted to apply for educational choices, meaning if you're in a failing school district, this was the theory from the beginning. And actually, let's give them a little bit of history, Greg. This all started in the 90s with a famed lawsuit that came out of Cleveland because Former Governor Voinovich was pushing because of the failing Cleveland school districts and those kids caught in failing schools in the uh, Cleveland uh, city of Cleveland. There, uh, he pushed forward with really one of the first in the nation of its type uh, educational choice vouchers, where uh, each student receives is um, uh, has you know each student the cost to, to educate that child is about eight to nine thousand dollars depending upon the school district, right? Um, and so to take those dollars to the school of your choice, so you could actually take it to a private school. Well, the teachers union filed a lawsuit and federal court, and it made its way all the way up to the U.S. Supreme Court, if I'm not mistaken. Is that correct? On the it did. Uh, that's right. And, and the, uh, so give us the background on that. Yep, absolutely. So, so what happened really too, and actually the ACLU was also involved in this, um, the litigation. They they were uh, upset and thought that if you were using public money in religious schools, that that would be a violation of uh, a, a constitutional problem, and that it would violate separation of church and state. And so they they brought litigation, uh, and as these things go, you know you have multiple court decisions, and it eventually gets appealed all the way to the U.S. Supreme Court. And in two thousand two the U.S. Supreme Court found uh, that the Cleveland plan was uh, constitutional uh, because uh, the, the state wasn't directly giving money to the private school. Uh, the state was giving money to, to the money to the parents to make a decision, to make a choice yes. about where they wanted to send their students. So that was a key, dis- a key distinction there, as well as the fact that, in theory, they could use that, that scholarship to go to a non-religious private school if they wanted to, uh, as well, if, if those were available. So it wasn't mandating that it went there. So that was a key thing. But Basically was, going to the school of your choice as yeah. long as it meets with those standards and criteria. And so yeah. that's how, so then by 2005 in the state of Ohio, the legit General Assembly passed um, legislation that allowed for a number of students and what we have now in this last calendar year is almost 500 school buildings 
where um, the grade level is a DNF, it's unsatisfactory, and then the um, economics of the uh, applicant for the voucher, it comes into play as well. Explain that portion. Yep. There's, so here's where it gets a little bit complicated, because there's actually two different scholarship programs. The one that we've been talking about is Ed Choice, and it is based on the report card. Uh, there was created when Governor Kasich came into office, and uh, there was a separate scholarship program that was created that was an income-based scholarship. And it said that if you were at 200% of the federal poverty guidelines, a family, and, and it, it, the dollar amount is tiered based on how many folks are in the household, uh, you could get the full scholarship, notwithstanding the academic performance of your school building. So you didn't have to go to the failing school like you historically did under Ed Choice. And then as you went up in uh, income, you could get a prorated scholarship up to 400% of the federal poverty guidelines. So you get a smaller amount until you basically got phased out at 400%, but you could get something to defray some of the tuition costs uh, if you chose to uh, avail yourself of it. Now, the (coughs) issue here is uh, the Ed Choice Program is funded out of the school funding formula, which opens up really a Pandora's box of issues. Uh, And it's part of the reason why the public school districts are howling and yelling as much as they are. Whereas the income-based scholarship has a separate funding stream. It is basically funded directly by the state in in a separate line item. So this gets into some of the intricacies of the state budget. But it, that, that is actually an important thing because what pot of money the money comes out of to fund these two different scholarships turns out to be a really big deal here in Columbus. So uh, what you end up with, though, is now we have a real debate about do we have a report card-based system at all, and do we go all in on the income-based system? And if we do make that decision as a state, uh, then how do we transition students who are on the report card model or ed choice into this other system? How do we do that in a way that holds children harmless? Because that's really the the challenge here. Um, There's a lot of policy implications here. There are, candidly, there are some problems with how the report card operates, and it does, in fact, probably put some school buildings on the list that, in fairness, should not be on the list. So there's an issue here that needs to be addressed. but the, the, the problem that we're seeing right now is that it's, it's difficult to have a good, realistic conversation around the table with folks uh, because some of the rhetoric has become so heated, uh, particularly from the public school districts. And some of the information that has been put into the press and in local papers is uh, inaccurate. Uh, and I think that some of that may be intentional and some of it may be the fact that school funding in Ohio is so complicated that you know you'd be lucky if there's a if there's 50 people in the state of Ohio who could really tell you every in and out of the school funding issue. Uh, but the bottom line is we have a real challenge right now because there's these these two competing proposals, um, uh, and and it's not clear which one is. And, and truth be told, it's probably going to look different than either one of them when they finally make the, the deal on however they're going to go forward. Okay, so currently there is about 23,500 students uh, enrolled in the Educational Choice Voucher Program in Ohio in the 2018-2019 school year. 29% of students eligible statewide, 320 participating schools. Um, An average voucher is about $4,700, uh, but again, as you say, it's prorated according to poverty uh, percentage of poverty level and uh, per family, you know, of the family uh, that's applying. But this is what I found uh, in my discussions with a lot of Christian schools and people that uh, send their students to Christian schools. One Christian school in Canton, it is believed that 90% of the students attending receive educational choice vouchers. That school is is actually surviving because of the educational choice voucher system. And it's the only Christian school in greater Canton right now. Also, a a Christian school in Medina, um, and you would think that to be a um, more affluent community. 35% of those attending that Christian school uh, are receiving educational choice vouchers. So it seems as if a lot of these private schools are actually benefiting from this program. A lot of parents liking to take advantage of this 
opportunity to send their students to the school of their choice. Um, lots on the table here, isn't there, Greg? Oh, there is. I mean, really, it's not too too uh, strong a statement to say that the future of school choice in Ohio, as we know it, is really kind of being determined here and might be determined in the next couple of weeks. Uh, there was a, uh, of course, the application window for folks to be able to, to get the scholarship was supposed to have opened on February 1st. Uh, but then the, the legislature has delayed that till April 1st, and actually there's a debate about whether or not the window should be open now or not open. And that's actually relating to the Supreme Court case that you mentioned earlier that was filed by the Citizen CCV organization. So there's, 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 there's an issue there. There's an issue on what is the policy going to look like. It's, it's really a big kind of a mess uh, that's going on at the State House right now, and a lot of people are kind of running around uh, uh, like uh, cats on a, on a hot stove here uh, trying to figure out what we're going to do. But the bottom line that I think families need to understand is they need to realize that if you've had a scholarship uh, before or if you were looking to get a scholarship and you thought you would be eligible based on the list that came out, you should make your voice heard and, and, and make your voice heard now uh, by contacting legislators just so that you can express you know, your concern about what's happening here. Because I can tell you, um, you know, the public school districts are uh, very adept at getting their message out. If you're reading your local newspaper, you've probably already read stories about it. You've probably seen them say things like Ed Choice is going to make us uh, go to the levy because it's going to make us local dollars are going to travel to private schools, which is an erroneous statement, by the way. That's not how the program operates. Uh, but that's the stuff that's out there in the public sphere, and it's and it's inaccurate. And we need to have a serious conversation and a, and, a, and a very detailed conversation at the state house about how to fix this uh, but it should be based on fact and not rhetoric well some of the uh, let's talk about some of the players on both sides right now some of the various groups so uh there's teachers unions super school superintendents school district representatives obviously uh and ptas probably weighing in on one side on the other side are those advocating for school choice is ed choice ohio uh, the Catholic Conference. Uh, there's a there's a conservative Jewish group that uh, is weighing in on this. Citizens for Community Values and other uh, 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 religious school interests are weighing in on it as well, as well as parents who benefit from this program. So there's a lot going on now at the state house right now. The battle lines are being drawn. Oh, there, there it absolutely is. And, uh, you know, actually, uh, and I, I work around the State House quite a bit, deal with budgets and deal with uh, things at the end of legislative sessions. And I can tell you, as somebody who spends a great deal of time at the State Capitol, uh, this feels like the end of a budget conversation, which is really an intense time at the State House. And so it's a, uh, it, it, there's tons of activity, lots of people talking to each other, and it's not clear where it's going to land. Um, you know, the, it's not clear if the Senate's going to get more of their way, if the House is going to get more of its way. And uh, there are plus and minuses to both packages. Uh, I, I think that really there probably need to be some tweaks. To, whichever model you use, there probably need to be some tweaks to it to, to really make it fair for all the, the students that could be potentially impacted here. Um, but that's what they're going to have to do in the conference committee, uh, whether, it's, whether it's the House bill that moves or the Senate bill that moves. Uh, they're going to have to really work things out. Has Governor DeWine weighed in on this yet? Uh, I'm not aware that he has issued any kind of a public statement on this. I do know that he said that he would be talking with legislative leaders. Um, I don't know for sure what kind of meetings may or may not have taken place there. I'm assuming that there are (laughs) some ongoing conversations, because I think he does have some concerns, because I think everybody recognizes uh, that right now a lot of families and quite you know, to be fair, the public school districts, a lot of public school districts, and certainly, as you already mentioned, Chris, a lot of the of the private schools are in a state of complete limbo. Nobody knows what's going to happen. Am I, is my kid going to get in? Is my kid not going to get in? What do I do with child care? How do I navigate all this? If they don't get in, what do I do? Schools or the public schools are trying to figure out their staffing situation, and some private schools are trying to figure out if they will even be able to open their doors. So this is really a kind of a chaotic situation. So I think that there is a recognition uh, by all the policymakers that they need to come to a resolution in the near term, because if they don't, this chaos is going to spill over. And the longer it spills over, the more difficult it's going to be to make sure to to limit uh, uh, the challenges and the hurdles that that families and schools, both public and private, are going to have to go through. 
you know, we've heard the term, this, the money following the student, and this has been a model that's uh, been floated out there in other states in saying a total choice uh, model where the, the money follows the student. And um, this is where then real school choice becomes the norm within uh, you know, the whole concept of education. Explain that to us. Yeah, it really, I think one of the unfortunate things that's happened here in Ohio is we have a, we've, we've developed school choice, but it's kind of come in a adversarial sort of way with the public schools. And so that's one of the reasons you see such intense uh, political rhetoric sometimes come up in these debates. And the, the real answer is money should travel with the student. Parents pay taxes. Uh, they should get a portion of those taxes back to go to where they think the, the right school for their student. That right school might be the district school that they, you know, right where they live. It might be a neighboring public school, uh, district school. It could be a charter school. Obviously, it could be a private school. It, we, we have kind of these things where we stovepipe all of our, our funding and because of how the budget process works and how local taxes and state taxes and all this stuff interplays with each other and really complicated school funding formulas and stuff like that, we, we, we've ended up creating a real difficult situation for folks to be able to navigate. And the, the simple answer uh, from the 30,000-foot view is parents should be in control of the money. They should be able to choose what's right for their student. You know, may, I mean, for example, like can parents send, you know, maybe they, you got three kids. Two of them go to the public school district and are doing great, but one of them needs something that those district schools aren't able to do. Why shouldn't they be able to send them to a private school, that third student, if they, if they want to? And, and uh, I mean, this is the kind of system I think Ohio should be moving towards. It's something the Buckeye Institute, we're a free market organization uh, and have been uh, longtime supporters of school choice. But I think it's time to start talking about school choice, not as a thing that's outside of school funding. And it's kind of like this thing where you have the public schools are funded over here and then school choice is funded separately. We need to think about how do we have a holistic, combined system that meets the needs of what parents recognize is in the interest of their individual students. We have the ability to put together uh, individualized entertainment options galore. You, you, know, you don't even have to buy cable packages anymore. You can buy individual channels and have a, have a remote control device to pick through your channels on your TV anymore. It's remarkable what's happened, but yet we don't do that really for education. We don't have, we still sort of have ourselves straightjacketed in to a one or maybe a two size fits all sort of mantra. Well, that's just not how things work in the 21st century. We should be able to have parents be in charge uh, because they know their kids best. Mm. That's what school choice was meant to do. That's what money following the student really does. Right now, Wait. what really happens is we fund systems first. Greg Lawson of the Buckeye Institute. Give the website again. Buckeyeinstitute.org. And the conference committees were going on all the way through next Thursday. And, folks, you need to call your state representative and weigh in in supporting educational choice vouchers. Greg, thanks so much for being my guest today. Thank you so much. Thank you. We'll be back on the other side. We're going to be talking to Laverne Gore. She is a candidate for Congress here in the 11th Congressional District. We're going to continue our candidate spotlight with Laverne Gore. We'll be right back after these messages. Almighty God, our sons, pride of our nation, this day have set upon a mighty endeavor, a struggle to preserve our republic, our religion, and our civilization, and to set free a suffering humanity. And the soldiers who stormed the beaches of Normandy and the Allied liberation of Europe, on D-Day, all those warriors set out on their mission President Franklin Delano Roosevelt led our nation in prayer. The D-Day Prayer Project is an effort to add FDR's D-Day Prayer in its entirety at the World War II Memorial in Washington, D.C. This wonderful historical presidential prayer will be a lasting tribute to our World War II veterans. If you'd like to make a contribution towards the effort of adding this prayer to the memorial, go to the website at ddayprayerproject.org. That's ddayprayerproject.org. 
Hi, this is David Barton of Wall Builders. On Veterans Day, November 11, we salute all of our brave Ohio veterans and active duty military. Since 1776, our veterans have fought to keep America free and to liberate millions around the world from oppression, and they still do that today. But today, we see many Americans who refuse to honor our flag, who disrespect our founders, and they even want to remove Christian crosses from military cemeteries. To keep America free, we need to elect political leaders who share our patriotic values. To do that, veterans and their families and people of faith must be registered to vote. It's our duty to protect our God-given freedoms that our veterans bravely fought for. It's easy. Just go to MyOhioVote.com to register to vote. That's MyOhioVote.com. God bless you and God bless America. Paid for by the One Nation Under God Foundation, a tax-exempt committee. Please visit our website at www.oneundergod.us. And welcome back uh, to this uh, edition of News in Focus. And we're going to continue our candidate spotlight. And we're going to be talking to a congressional candidate for the 11th Congressional District. And this will be the upcoming primary on March 17th. There is a challenge on both the uh, Republican and Democratic side of the ticket. This will be focusing on the Republican side of the, of the primary ticket. And with us is Laverne Jones-Gore. She is running for Congress in the 11th Congressional District, which uh, comprises parts of Cleveland and Summit County. And Laverne, welcome to the program. Hi, how are you, Chris? I'm doing well. And how are you? I'm fine. And, you know, I just want to make it clear that we're just not in Cleveland. We have most of the eastern suburbs, uh, you know, Beechwood, Richmond Heights, Pepper Pike. Uh, it, it, it's most of that eastern Shaker Heights. So I just Bedford Heights. We have the southern suburbs, too. It's a very kind of geographically diverse district that runs all the way into Akron. Yeah, that's right. And yeah. so um, the March 17th is the primary, and I'm sure you're busy getting your message out. So tell us a little bit about your campaign. Yeah. Tell us what a uh, little bit about yourself and why you're running. All right. Well, my name is Laverne Jones-Gore. Uh, let me tell you a little bit of myself. I'm a widow. I have three children. Uh, I'm born and raised in Cleveland, went through the Cleveland public school systems, uh, went to undergraduate at one of the Claremont colleges, Pitzer College. I got I received my MPH from the Northeastern Ohio College of Medicine, uh, Master's in Public Health, and I got my MED from Cleveland State University in Adult Education and Development. Now, my undergraduate degree is in economics, my MPH is in public health, and my MED is in adult learning and development. So I kind of like to think that you combine all of those together and you make a heck of a trainer who understands the world of healthcare and the whole budgetary process that goes along with it. So, um, moving right along, I'm a small business owner uh, and I'm a member of the Republican Party, I'm mostly a lifelong member. I think that one of the things that happens is it kind of agrees with my family values a lot. So people, many people ask me, how are you a Republican when you're African-American? Because most people don't think those, they think they're diametrically opposed, that you can be African-American and be Republican. I don't think so. I think that it's kind of something that's in my blood. And we believe in the Republican Party and, and its principles. And you know what? You're not going to agree with everything that happens within a party. Because that's just not human nature to agree with everything. I don't like snow on Tuesdays, but somehow on Fridays, I really like it when I want to go ski. You don't agree with everything. What happens is you get to a point that you have to say, you got to pick a side, or you can be like a smorgasbord. And I tend to believe I pick the sides, you know, because the heavy, heavy family values and a belief in a God that can do anything and everything. Mm. So yeah, that's I was... kind of where I'm at. I was looking a little bit at your bio here that uh, yeah. our good friend, our mutual friend, uh, Jack Boyle, sent over to me, and yeah. I did not know that your late husband, Larry, was a Marine veteran. God bless his memory. And yeah. he was an yeah. engineer with Lockheed Martin, but his opportunity yeah. in the military gave you an opportunity to experience some traveling abroad oh. in Europe, the Middle East, and oh. northern yeah. and western Africa. And I think that's important yeah. if you're running for yeah. Congress to have some exposure to the uh, international national, uh, you know, travel. I think that's important. And, and while I loved traveling and I, 
I did just, you know, we lived there. We lived in different countries. We lived in Romania also. So I have an understanding for Eastern Europe as well. Uh, Italy was the longest tour we had. But I can say to you that having lived abroad, as you say, it enlightens you. It gives you opportunities to understand things that people are talking about now that sound very like socialism, that sounds very, very colorful and very, very exciting. But when you've traveled and you've seen the effects of socialism, you're kind of like, wait a minute, whoa. And I tell many people, because I've lived all over the world, this is a country, and my husband and I agree, and so my children, we also agree. Uh, you just don't fight for it. You die for it. Mm. Because there is nothing else like this in the entire world. Nothing. There is nothing like this in the entire world. So you can die for this because it's, it's just that wonderful and that magnificent. And that is what you get when you've lived all over the world. You know the importance and the, wow, the gift that God has given us just by being American citizens. And I don't even say that lightly. I say that wherever I go. It's, it's just, it's amazing to be an American. So that's kind of exciting, having been with a Marine. And he was a Vietnam veteran, and President Trump has just kind of declared us kind of special because they didn't get treated so nicely when they came home. But this is your show, so what do you want to ask me, Chris? I'm sorry. <laughs> well, a couple of things. You know, Laverne, obviously, with the background that you have and the experience in education, and then, of course, you know, Right here, Cleveland is your home, and you've done some great work on the ground with the local community in the last number of years. You've been very involved uh, on the ground with a number of the challenges that inner-city Cleveland and greater Cleveland face, and I think that's the kind of experience that you're bringing to this. Tell us about that. You know, I kind of, you know, when you see a need, we, um, Sarah J. Harper, I don't know if you are aware from who Judge Harper is, used to be the first African-American got on Common Pleas, and a lot of firsts in Cleveland. And she's 91 years old, but she's just such a wonderful woman. She had an idea to start a children's library in Althwaite Projects, which is the oldest uh, public housing in the country, Althwaite, right down here on 40th and Central. She wanted a children's library. And I'm like, are we serious? Are we really doing this? And she wanted it, and we did it. We opened, and it's still there today. Uh, about 20 years ago, we started and opened and funded and, and, and a children's library, the Sarah J. Harper Children's Library. Well, as an add-on to that, the judge said, you know, I really do want to become more involved in the community with the women and that are in the community. So she and I started the Sarah J. Harper Leadership Institute, where we trained women to kind of elevate themselves to um, modern-day employment, you know, whether it be dress, whether it be learning newspaper articles, maybe just learning how to do public speaking, dressing for success. And we did that for like, my God, we did that for like eight years, and it's still going on, but not with me as the executive director at this point. And then I got home when my husband died, and I started doing charity work at the... uh, very uh, public housing stop, and that was what I did on the weekends. And I realized that you know some people don't have as much as other people have. And I got so frustrated when I would take my ladies to the Goodwill, and I mean I won't even mention that name, and they had to pay, and they didn't have money at all. So I said we're going to do a clothing drive. So I contacted all of my friends, and I was part of the Ohio Diversity Coalition because I was ex- executive am executive director of that and I said can we all talk to our friends talk to everybody small appliances sheets towels clothes because we have so much um it's important service is important so we decided to have a clothing drive it was overwhelming Chris (laughs) we had hundreds of people donating clothes and they were donating from all over the city all parts of the city pepper pie shaker uh Lee Harvard, the churches got in on it. We had a gymnasium full of clothes and small appliances that we gave away. Hmm. And you could take as much as you want because we had so much to give. Because I believe that when you do things with the right heart, and the Lord is right there with you, then it's always abundant. I mean, we had so many clothes 
that we, at the end of the time, we donated to seven shelters across the city. We boxed them back up and we took them on a U-Haul truck and donated them to shelters. It, it was just an abundance. It was way, and people were taking bags full of stuff. And we just kind of felt like, I guess the more you give, the more you're rewarded for those gifts. And for me, it's a satisfaction of just knowing that I'm kind of helping somebody and what, knowing that they're, you know, being what, happy. When President Trump uh, ran in 2016, he made a promise to the inner cities uh, when he was campaigning. He was saying, sure. uh, you have allowed, you know, the opposite party to run the inner cities for the last 40 years, sure. and it's run it into sure. the ground. He said, sure. give me a chance. He said, give me a chance. And yeah. so President Trump, according to the polls, has been making great strides in the yeah. black community. And in fact, uh, the poll numbers are up. For the president in the black community, including, um, you know, unemployment is down in the black community. Employment is up. Uh, the economic mm-hmm. picture among African-Americans is better during the Trump years. Mm-hmm. How are you uh, addressing that in your campaign running for Congress as a Republican in the 11th Congressional District primary for March 17th? Well, I have a Facebook, Laverne, Laverne, Laverne Gore for Congress. And I have Twitter, and I have all of those things. And I just tell about the wonderful things that the president is doing. And one of the things you forgot to say, Chris, was he said, what do you have to lose? Now, to me, when he said that to the African-American community, what do you have to lose? It is bad. Housing is bad. The educational system is bad. Crime is bad. But that doesn't mean we don't have really, really, really good people that want better. You know, some things just get out of control. You know, when the services go down, maybe the leadership is wrong. You have a lot of things happening in the African-American community. And he's saying that. He's saying that to urbanites. I live in the city. There are white people that live in the city. You know, I am saying to you, he is saying that to urbanites with predominantly African-American citizenship and residency. What do you have to lose? We are going to take these cities back, and we're going to do it with the help of the president. The president is offering, do you understand? The African-American community is working now. We are working. At Christmas, the lines were long. The grocery store, and it wasn't EBT cards. People are working, Chris. They're happy. There's school choice now. We get to see our kids having the ability to progress as opposed to just listening to unions saying, oh, no, the teachers have to be uh, compensated and you can't take your children. We're tired of them holding us hostage. And a lot of that happens in the inner city. It's kind of like we're being held hostage. And the president is saying, hey, I got a better way. And he's proving it, Chris. He's not just saying it. He's proving it because you can see when you don't have 15 people hanging around on a corner or just walking the street aimlessly, because guess where they are? They're at work. And when they're at work, they come home. Mom's happy. Dad's happy. The kids are happy because they're productive and they're involved in their communities. So all of a sudden you go to work and now you got to walk past that dumpster. That's got that smell in it that can throw, you know, that can harm your family, harm your kids. You're paying attention because now you're paying those taxes. You're paying the, the you're paying the cost to be the boss now, and you're really having to look at it and say, "Wait a minute, I've been getting cheated." I know my opponent wants it seems like she wants everybody to stay on SNAP cards and welfare. Well, it's not going to happen because the president had has made it easy for the African American community, much more so than I've ever seen. And um, I, I was a skeptic because, you know, I started out with Rubio. But I can tell you he's made, in 2016, I came on board, and I've just been a soldier. Now, can I brag a little bit? Can I say that I'm going to see the president on the 21st? <laughs> oh, that's great. Hold it right there because we're going to take a quick break. We're going to be right back on the other side. We're talking to Laverne Gore. She is a candidate for the 11th Congressional District in the upcoming March primary of March 17th. Don't go away. We'll be right back. Almighty God, our sons, pride of our nation, this day have set upon a mighty endeavor, a struggle to preserve our republic, our religion, and our civilization, and to set free a suffering humanity. 
and the soldiers who stormed the beaches of Normandy and the Allied liberation of Europe. On D-Day, all those warriors set out on their mission. President Franklin Delano Roosevelt led our nation in prayer. The D-Day Prayer Project is an effort to add FDR's D-Day Prayer in its entirety at the World War II Memorial in Washington, D.C. This wonderful historical presidential prayer will be a lasting tribute to our World War II veterans. If you'd like to make a contribution towards the effort of adding this prayer to the memorial, go to the website at ddayprayerproject.org. That's ddayprayerproject.org. Hi, this is David Barton of Wall Builders. On Veterans Day, November 11, we salute all of our brave Ohio veterans and active duty military. Since 1776, our veterans have fought to keep America free and to liberate millions around the world from oppression, and they still do that today. But today, we see many Americans who refuse to honor our flag, who disrespect our founders, and they even want to remove Christian crosses from military cemeteries. To keep America free, we need to elect political leaders who share our patriotic values. To do that, veterans and their families and people of faith must be registered to vote. It's our duty to protect our God-given freedoms that our veterans bravely fought for. It's easy. Just go to MyOhioVote.com to register to vote. That's MyOhioVote.com. God bless you, and God bless America. Paid for by the One Nation Under God Foundation, a tax-exempt committee. Please visit our website at www.OneUnderGod.us. And we do want to let you know that the March 17th primary is coming up. The deadline to vote, to register to vote, is February 18th. If you have moved in the last year, uh, if you're just turning 18 or you need to update your voter registration, let's say you haven't voted in the last six or seven years, probably a good opportunity to update your voter registration. You could do so online at the Secretary of State's website. In fact, there's links on our website, the Ohio Christian Alliance. Just Google that, Ohio Christian Alliance or go to ohioca.org. And remember, uh, next Tuesday, February 18th, is the deadline. If you want to vote in the March 17th primary, uh, you want to get uh, registered to vote if you're not. If you, Again, if you've moved, if, you, if uh, you've come from out of state, uh, if you've just turned 18, or uh, maybe you've never registered to vote, now is the time to do it, and you can do it online through the Secretary of State's uh, online uh, website to register to vote. And so, again, the Ohio Christian Alliance will be providing educational voter guides uh, for the March 17th primary. You want to make that as a footnote on your desktop as well, as we'll be providing information as we approach the March 17th primary. With us on the phone is a candidate for the 11th Congressional District, Laverne Gore, and she's running uh, on the Republican primary on the uh, March 17th uh, uh, ticket. So, Laverne, let's go back to what you were talking about. Um, you're going to get an opportunity to meet with the president. Tell us about that. I have been invited by the president and Mrs. Trump to come to the White House uh, for a celebration of African-American uh, history. And oh. that's next week. Oh, yes. wonderful. That's wonderful. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, I'm pretty I'm pretty happy. I'm pretty excited. Uh, it's not often that you get to spend face time with the leader of the free world. And it's just been, it's an opportunity that I'm just absolutely ecstatic about. Yeah. Well, you you were you are the director of the Ohio Diversity uh, Project, and yes. again, a great organization that's been doing some work here in the last few years in the greater uh, Cleveland area. Tell us about the Ohio Diversity Project. Well, now, see, the Ohio Diversity Coalition is kind of, it's a group of people that are God-fearing, of course, and conservative. And we found out that, you know, it's, it, there, there were Asians, there was African Americans, there were people of Jewish faith, there were uh, Second Amendment folks out in Brecksville that wanted to be a part of it, Westlake. So we just kind of all started meeting, and then... <laughs> We started meeting for, like, coffee and just talking about issues that affect the Ohio area. And we started out because we wanted to—we gave a gala, and all of these people, all different nationalities, everything, got together, and we gave a gala in honor of President Trump at the convention. And we had about 400 people that came. Of course, we got no press for it, right? 
But there were 400 African Americans that came and to celebrate the president. And like I said, no press coverage. I was so infuriated, but it was beautiful. It was down at the, um, the old arcade. I don't think it's the old play arcade when it's down in the flat. Yes. And we had 400 people. It's above the aquarium. It was just beautiful. It was wonderful. And not many people that were there didn't think it was special, but we celebrated the election of a president and endorsement of Donald Trump as uh, the, lead, the next leader of the free world, because we were, like, all in. We didn't believe that Hillary could do it. But these are conservative individuals. You see, I didn't say they were just Republicans. They're conservative, God-fearing, because mm. some of them are independent, and that's okay. That's okay. So we, we go around, we give events, and we talk about the different things that God can do when people start talking to each other. Hmm. Kind of really neat. Yeah. <laughs> so let's talk about your platform. Yeah. We got a, a few minutes left. Let's talk about the things that, w- that w- you know that you're running on. All right. When you you know, I I don't know if your listeners are aware. This is a minority majority district. That means that is there it's carved out to include at least sixty percent minorities, right? So we have a lot, but we also have some of the richest areas in the county in this district as well. And we it's a very diverse group, so I'm used to working with a lot of the folks here. And it's mostly Democrat as well, when you think about it, but not really, because it, they vote Democrat, but most of them are independent. So what our issues are, we have some real problems with crime in the inner city that I represent. And that we all know that the city of Cleveland is the hub for all of the suburbs, because it's called the greater Cleveland area. And we have a problem with crime. We have a problem with education in our school systems. We have some serious, serious problems with maintaining our homes, our streets, our communities. As you say, we are one of the products of leadership gone bad. This is a very serious democratic leadership, held leadership. And... I wish I could take people on a trip of my district. Some of it looks like war zones that I've seen. I remember sometimes going in one of the particular communities, and I remember when I was in Egypt and the earthquake came. I don't know if you all remember that. But some of the buildings that are in the inner city look like they've been hit by earthquakes, and they're still standing. We have to do something about housing because if you don't, start coming together. We as Americans will not survive. So we have to make housing. We have to get people employed. We have to get the infrastructure together. And those are the things that we have to do if we're going to maintain ourselves as a community. Humanity begins when we work together. That's when humanity begins. Hmm. And we have a lot of work to do in the inner city. But as I told you, what happens in the city and what happens in my the district it's very important to us all because it spreads, and you can see what's happening. I'm your your pastor. You understand the trouble we're in right now. If we go with this progressive, if we go with social, we, we we are in trouble. Our children are confused. We must stop this. We must. We are Public talking. Is another issue. We are talking to yeah. Laverne Gore. She is the candidate for the 11th Congressional District on the Republican uh, primary ballot on March 17th. Again, this is uh, the 11th District, runs from uh, Cleveland, parts of Summit County, and also to the western suburbs. Tell us uh, some of the communities that it encompasses. Everpike, Beechwood, Maple Heights, Garfield Heights, East Cleveland, Richmond Heights, uh, Cleveland, all I mean, the east side of Cleveland, the Bedford Heights, uh, wow, I think I got it. <laughs> and then we go into Akron, Cuyahoga Falls, Bath, Broadview Heights, uh, Rich, Richfield Heights, and then we go into the Ward 4 of Akron. So that's, those are all leading over into Summit County. I just want to thank you. I know I've been on. <laughs> um, I just really appreciate you having me on, Chris. Well, thank you. What is there a website where people can uh, follow you? Yeah, sure. Laverne Gore, the number four, congress.org and .net. Laverne Gore, the number four, .org, for Congress, the .org and .net. We, uh, the search engine will come up. We have a Facebook page where you can look at us, and we have a web page. 
uh, I mean, <laughs> we have a fan page. Join us, volunteer. We're having a good time. There are a lot of people involved, and we take almost everybody that's just conservative and Christian. Well, so, thank you. Thank you for being my guest today, Laverne. And, uh, thank you so much, Chris. I appreciate it. You're welcome. Again, that was Laverne Gore. She is candidate for the 11th Congressional District, and it is on the March primary ballot, the uh, Republican primary ballot, coming up uh, very quickly. And so... How do you uh, learn more about the candidates? Well, at our website, the Ohio Christian Alliance website at ohioca.org, you can uh, visit that. Of course, uh, voter registration now until February 18th uh, is the deadline to register to vote. If you need to update your voter registration, if you just turned 18, if you've uh, moved in the last uh, six months or year, you want to update your voter registration form. If you haven't voted in the last seven years, you want to update your voter registration form form. Uh, So you can cast your ballot and vote your values uh, come March the 17th. Also on our website, you'll look at some of the work that we're doing with the state Supreme Court case on voter rights right now. Uh, That case is pending. Information on our website at ohioca.org. And thanks for listening and tell a friend. And if you missed any of today's program, you can hear it in its entirety at our website at ohioca.org. Thanks for listening. God bless. You have been listening to News in Focus with your host, Chris Long, president of the Ohio Christian Alliance. To learn more about the issues that matter most to you and your family, visit online at ohioca.org. That's ohioca.org. Thank you for listening. This program is sponsored by the Ohio Christian Alliance of Akron, Ohio.